Today's a great day for Stephanie and I. It's uh, good that we are able to go to Washington, D.C. and be with our grandkids there. You may not know it, but there's now a direct flight from Montgomery to D.C. You probably don't care, but it's good for us. Today is a great day for you guys because you're going to be blessed to hear Jeremy Kuhn. Jeremy's the preaching minister of the Gateway Church in Pensacola, Florida. Jeremy's a long-term friend. I remember when he came to Faulkner in 1997. He uh, came to my office, first time I met him, had a list of a lot of questions of why Landmark did this and didn't do that, and uh, well, we had a quite intense time there, but I walked away from there respecting him. He had the courage to come sit down and ask the questions, and before long, obviously it worked because he became a member here, and it wasn't much after that that he spent two years as our intern. And it was really easy to see from the beginning that this young man had a passion for God and was a very gifted minister, speaker, great sense of humor. You just love Jeremy. So I've enjoyed following Jeremy through the years. I actually got to perform his wedding ceremony to Jennifer, who is absolutely amazing, and to follow him through his ministry to North Carolina and to Florida. And then the last five years at the Gateway Church in Pensacola, where I used to preach. And that's been a really great, great thing for us because uh, that church was struggling. And Jeremy and Jennifer came there at just the right time and just did a re- have done a really great work and exciting days are ahead for that church. So needless to say, I am very proud of this young man and how God's used him. This should also be a moment. For, for us as a church to be proud because when we do campus ministry and we invest in young people and internships, this is one of those products and this is a very good product. And so I'm very, very proud of Jeremy Kuhn. Um, please um, be warm to him today and welcome him back to the Landmark family. Well, Buddy's a liar. I'm really excited to be back with you today. It was actually 20 years ago this month that I preached my first sermon and only sermon here at Landmark. So it is uh, two decades have spanned that time. And it has been such a wonderful journey of ministry. And I have nothing but awesome memories. Standing on this stage brings back so many memories. I used to take naps during my office hours right there on that pew. And, uh, and other stories. Matter of fact, many of you have already shared with me some of those stories. And I need you to know that although I look as good or better than I did 20 years ago, I don't remember any of those stories. So thanks for sharing them, but I don't remember them. So anyways, today I want to share with you a story and um, about what I love most. What I love most is to see people reach their missional potential. I really do believe that God has given us a great gift in the gospel, but for some churches, we struggle sometimes realizing what that missional potential is. We we say to ourselves, well, well, I know God has a purpose for my life, or what is God's will for my life, and then we struggle to apply what that is or, or find out what that is. And I do believe that if we can slow our lives down long enough to really open our eyes and open our ears and, and see and hear what God reveals for us, then we can walk into that mission and we don't walk into it frustrated, aggravated, but rather fulfilled. Finding a sense of fulfillment and joy that only comes through working the gospel and allowing God to to use us as as his vessel. I think so much, I know know that... uh, 
you guys did an honorable thing by stealing Jeremy Swindle from us. And, um, and I'm glad he's moving up in the world. I really am. I, we stayed at his house last night, myself and my son Connor. And, uh, and he now has a motion sensor trash can. So he's doing well. He's really, he's making a name for himself. It's good to see him successful. I don't know if you've heard the old statement that uh, if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. And I truly believe that because I love what I do. There are days when I've absolutely regretted this decision, no doubt about it. Days I've been frustrated, but I have spent the majority of my life excited about watching what God does. And I think to, to enjoy that, to, to do that well, you need to understand first that it's God doing the work and you are only along for the ride. If you can adopt that mentality yourself, then you can take the curveballs that Satan throws your way. You can, uh, you can win those battles of struggle. And today I want to talk to you about two things. We'll get back to these, but the first one is mission potential. Mission potential is something that each and every person is supposed to have. There's a church in Pensacola called Potential Church. I think it's the worst name for a church ever. I don't know how you invite people to your potential church. It's a terrible name, you know. Come to us. Potentially, one day, we might get it together. I don't know. But we like we like Gateway. We feel like our name is, is I'll always loved Landmark. But there are churches that, rather than becoming launching pads for ministry, they become placeholders. They become places where people can kind of come and occupy a place. I heard, I heard one of your ministers today, I don't know who he is, he's the sweetest soul, but he referred to uh, pe- these types of people in his prayer as putics. Only in Alabama does that phrase grow feet and become something. Putics. I thought that's an awful name. I would never be, I'd never want to be regarded as a putic. But um, putics, or as I would say, people who um, show up to church and occupy a place have unrealized potential. They have unrealized potential. The next thing is mission critical. Because from mission potential, you go to a place of mission critical and you become the active participant in the gospel and you're actually doing the work. And I'm telling you, there is nothing more frustrating in my life than watching people with potential never fully realize their potential. Or watch them walk into it ill-equipped and they don't have people walking along beside them, and they get frustrated, and they, they quit. I graduated from Faulkner. I got my master's degree at Lipscomb University, and sadly, I know so many people, Jeremy, other ministers, Nathan. Nathan Caps was my roommate, and I don't know how Jennifer puts up with him because he's the nastiest human I've ever known. <laughs> and he, if you invite him to your house, he will eat your food. I'm just saying. But... But we all know people that were Bible majors, but they got into the majors and they quit because of the minors. And they stopped doing ministry and now they're all financial advisors. I've never really understood 
I've never understood why that is the segue from broken ministry. Well, I guess I'll go into managing money. That's a terrible move. If you're a financial advisor, it's a great move for you personally. I want to share with you a story that happened to me that started with me almost six years ago. This man showed up on our doorstep. I think I've got a picture of him. His name is David Langston. David showed up at my doorstep. Homeless, had been homeless for well over a decade, almost two, and then he had uh, been addicted to crack cocaine heavily and other drugs and had lived this lifestyle. It was a crazy lifestyle, but he meets me and he says, hey man, I just want you to know I just got kicked out of my camp or I just left my camp and, and a camp is what Pensacola homeless community calls where they live because it's in the woods. It's all over. Pensacola has a massive homeless community. And he said, I got in an argument with my, with my girlfriend. I left. And man, I'm just ready to, I'm tired of this. I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus. And I want to, I want to, I want to live for him. And now I'm telling you as the minister at Gateway, if I had a nickel for every homeless person that showed up at our doorstep, that told me something about their future potential, but it was unrealized, I would be a wealthy man. I might quit ministry and become a financial advisor. (laughs) The truth is, David told me this, and I thought, okay, all right, man. He's like, all I want you to do, man, I don't want nothing. All I want you to do is pray for me. Another thing I wish I had a nickel for every time I'd heard that. And so sure enough, we grabbed hands, very much like Buddy Bell grabbed my hands the first time I showed up here. I don't know if you've ever heard that story, but it's one of, of legend I showed up this really legalistic, conservative, mean-spirited guy that was ready to show Buddy Bell the error of his ways. <laughs> and he just disarmed me by saying, Jeremy, before we get started in this ministry, let's just get on our knees and pray. Let's just pray. <laughs> and I remember I was like, okay. okay. And he's like, let's, let's just get on our Heavenly Father. Let's just get on our knees. So he got down on his knees right next to this little desk and, and uh, right next to Alabama Memorial, everywhere you turn. It's awful. I was like, which shrine does this guy worship? And so so I got down on my knees, hands and knees, and he put his hands on my knee, which for a conservative legalistic guy is a no, no, you don't do that. So he started praying. And I remember when he prayed, he's like, I'll dial and you hang up. And I was like, I don't know what that verbiage means, but I'll go with it. So these liberals continue to wow me with their new jargon. So Buddy prayed, and it was this prayer that was just so disarming. It was like he was talking to his best friend. Father God, we thank you so much. Just I'm so glad for Jeremy being here right now. And I, I remember his prayer just totally taking me back. And then it came to my turn to pray, which, you know, he did the little squeeze, which means pass. And so... So I was like, I was like, uh, uh, dearest Heavenly Father, we approach thy throne of grace. I'm praying in King James Version. And I, I just remember feeling like I just outprayed this guy. And so, so, so he brings me in and he launches me here. And, 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 and over the series of years, he, he restores or really kind of helps me to see, man, Jeremy, you have unrealized potential. Now, at that time when I was praying with Dave, I didn't think this guy has unrealized potential because he was a homeless guy. We have tons of homeless people that come by our church that are looking for handouts. So I'll do what I can. I'll give him a cold glass of water in the name of Jesus. I'll pray with him if he wants prayer. I'll fill up his gas tank if he needs gas. 
I'll pump up his bike if he needs air in his tires, and he'll go on his way, and I'll never see him again. Right? But man, I was wrong. David turned and turned back to me, and he said to me, he said, you know, hey, man, I don't know if you know this, but I went to Freed Hardman University. And I was like, okay, this guy's done a little research. He knows the Church of Christ, Freed Hardman University. And he says to me, he's like, yeah, man, I got kicked out of there. Though. And I was like, yeah, that's a shocker. <laughs> and so, so he tells me he got kicked out. And, and over, over the next few months and years, I learned of David's talents. He would come by, he'd come, he'd come occasionally to worship and... And um, he, he, I learned that he was a phenomenal painter. So I remember one time he was in my house and he was, he was like, I'd, I'd had to paint the interior of my house and I'd heard he was a great painter. So I was like, David, you want to come help me paint, man? And he's like, yeah, dude, I'd love it. And so he comes over and we're painting and he's like, yeah, you want to listen to some music? And I'm like, yeah. I was like, what music do you listen to? And he's like, blues. And I'm like, all right, I don't know blues. I said, who, tell me who to listen to. He's like, Albert King. And I'm like, who that ever that is. So I went to Pandora and searched Albert King. And I noticed that he kept singing the songs. Every song that came in was not foreign to him. He knew it. And so I finally said, Dave, you know music really well. And he's like, well, man, I used to travel in blues band. I've covered for a lot of people. And, and I said, oh, that's really neat. I said, you, you, what'd you do? And he said, I play guitar. And I was like, I, I thought, this is my chance. I was like, oh, do you still play guitar? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, I got a guitar back here in my, in, and he's like, no way. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let me go get it. So I ran and got it. And I'm like, this guy, I'm going I'm to see if he could play guitar. So I brought it out and he starts stringing it and tuning it. And he starts playing. He's like, all right, I'm going to play a song. And I can't even remember what the song was, but he plays this song. He starts ripping this guitar to shreds. And I'm sitting there with my jaw on the floor listening to him play music and I was amazed at how talented he was. And then he finished the song and he said, man, if I ever, if I give, ever get my guitar, I need to play you one on my guitar. And I'm like, oh, my guitar is not good enough for you. And he's like, no, I'm not right-handed. <laughs> you just played my guitar better upside down than I have ever played it right side up. And so we began this friendship, and man, this friendship was awesome. And when David would, David was living in various encampments in the woods, and, and our, our old building and grounds uh, caretaker would run him off when he'd come on our grounds if he needed a place to stay. And I remember one time David came to me, and he's like, man, do you mind if I bunk in your woods for a while? And I was like, well, I could all involve elders in this decision, or I could just say yes. And I said, yes. And then I went to our elders and I said, hey, listen, here's the deal. Dave's been coming. I'm trying to mentor him. He's awesome. He's, ne- he's not, you know, he's not led us astray. Let's give him a shot. And so he began living in our woods and he still does. He uses electricity off of our, off of our Hope House, one of the old houses that's un- uninhabitable before you think I'm mean and don't let him live in the house. It's uninhabitable, but he lives in a tent in the woods next to our church building. And he's just the neatest guy. He really is. And about a few months later, he begins telling me, you know, I'm just, man, I'm, I'm on fire. I just want to do something for the Lord. I'm, I'm really excited about God's word. And he's in God's word. And he's like, have you ever read A.W. Tozer? And he starts naming these theologians. And I'm like, well, yeah. And he, and he proceeds to tell me, I want to start compiling a library. And he, 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 next thing I know is he's going to the Christian bookstore and he's buying Greek lexicons. And he has, I mean, he is... I didn't know this, but he is really good at trans, translating Greek 
you know, like most homeless individuals. And so he, I remember going to his tent, and he's got his bed over here. It's, it's the neatest homeless encampment I've ever seen. I walk in, and usually there's an odor. There's not. And I walk in, and over to the right, there's this desk that he has gotten set up inside the tent. It's got one lamp, and it's got about, at that time, about eight books. Now there's about 25 books wide, and they're Greeks to, Greek to English this, and, and, and all these theologians of the past— he wake, started waking up at 4 a.m., 4 a.m. That's a miracle in and of itself. 4 a.m. and writing his own devotionals. And he's like, man, why don't you take a look at this devotional I wrote? It's really cool. And, and so I started reading it, and I started going, oh, my goodness. It's the best devotional I have ever read. I mean, I buy these from Lifeway and Family Christian Bookstore, and I have never had one as meaningful as these. And he started using this, uh, this phrase, every day's a holy day. And so, as a matter of fact, I've got in the next slide is a picture of every day's a holy day study. And David, this thing started amassing popularity. He started sending it out to his homeless friends and, and everything else from his, uh, from his phone. And then our church people wanted it. And then I would go speak somewhere and then they would want it. And so David's got this, this list and he is, he is compiled a ton of every day's a holy day studies. They start off with a Greek phrase or term. They go into the text. They exegete the text. And I would turn these over to Dr. John Mark Hicks as I was working on my master's at Lipscomb and say, what do you think about this? And he's like, this is spot on. It blew me away. Then God opened David's eyes, hearts, and ears and said, hey man, this homeless encampment that you've been a part of all these years, the times, the, the, the places you've fallen the hardest, and these falls with David were not perfect. Past five and a half years are not perfect, but the falls, what happens is the falls become farther and farther apart to the point where he's doing extremely well. And he is on fire for Jesus. I couldn't be more proud of him. I want to go back to mission potential. In the next slide, I wrote, each person has a God-given potential to make a missional impact where you are, where they are, wherever you are. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that you have a God-given mission potential? That God has placed something on your heart. Maybe you think, oh, well, I could do this. I'll tell you this. In December, my wife learned that she had breast cancer. She endured the bilateral mastectomy and, and in, on January 2nd and began going through a period of surgeries where she got an infection and she went through this and that. And, and we went through all the emotions of, of feeling this very, very grave feeling that each moment with our children needed to be cherished because if her cancer continued to progress, it could be her last. Well, she is doing phenomenal right now. But guess what has happened? We have many friends that have recently discovered that they have breast cancer. And my wife, rather than sitting back and regretting what has happened to them, has stepped into it fully and embraced them and said, let me walk through this with you. And it has been so magical to watch as Jennifer has had this effect on other people that are going through something that they should never have to go through. 
Because years ago, we, she wouldn't have been able to do that. She could have done it, sure. And she has walked through breast cancer with many people before she was uh, told she had it. But there is a difference when you see mission potential and you move to the point where it becomes mission critical. And this mission critical is the church's deal. I wrote that slide next, is we will give ourselves to what we love most. If you're sitting there today and you're thinking to yourself, man, I would love to do this mission, I would love to do this ministry, but I really don't know, then have you been empowered to do it? It's amazing that in our jobs, we will search for people who are better at what we are, at, at, than we are at what we want to do, to learn from them. But when it comes to being mission critical in the way we live our life, we kind of go at it alone. Or we throw it at a minister. Ministers sometimes get a bad rep because we're not empowering people. But sometimes people throw ideas at us and there's nothing behind, substantive behind those ideas. Sometimes it's thrown at them kind of like, hey, this is my idea, see what you can do with that. And apart from what we're already doing, now we've got something else that we need to do and that's kind of difficult. If God lays something on your heart, you realize that there's a mission potential, but now it moves to mission critical you will find that you are good at it when you, when you go for it because you love it the most. I mean, think about it. The entire Auburn family today is mourning. Why? Because they all had a personal relationship with Rod Bramblett and his wife? No, because they, Auburn football is what they love the most. And they've listened to Rod over the years, so you kind of have a, a kind of a quasi relationship with him, and, and it's awful, tragic news. But what it is, is a realization, right? That we will give ourselves to what we love the most. And what is, what's so neat is as I've watched David grow, I've, I've seen his word time accelerate. To the point that what David loves the most is when God speaks into his heart. When we spend time in the word, accompanying what it is we do, we will begin to see God work in a huge way. The last slide is, love what God loves and you will begin to see your missional calling. This morning, I would love it. It would do my heart good for you just to hear the story of Dave and my story from here and see that believing in people and helping empower people and helping the church actually be a launching pad is possible if you don't become a pew tick. <laughs> Allow yourself to say, what is it that I, that I can give back? What is it you do? Do you have a yard business? Are you a financial advisor? A banker? An attorney? What side of your business has a hole where Jesus can be placed? What part of your life has a vacancy where it's just waiting for, for the gospel to be realized in that place? Because if you can develop that, then you've got the possibility to do something nobody else has. 
I love these stories of, of these missional movements of, of uh, our, my buddy Rob Touchstone did youth ministry with him for years and he had this, he was getting his master's degree at Lipscomb and for a project he developed this coffee idea and now one of the top coffee businesses in all of Nashville is the Wellhouse Coffee Place. It's amazing. And every cup that you buy of coffee, a dollar goes to dig freshwater wells in Africa. So he created something that gave people what they wanted, coffee, so he could get what he needed or what the world needed was fresh water so they wouldn't struggle with dysentery and other diseases that are horrible in third world countries or even here for that matter. So this morning as you sit there and you listen to these neat stories, I want you to be inspired. Inspired because every single one of us has the potential But every single one of us has to move that potential to be mission critical. Now, this morning, you have a chance to respond. And I realize this is an unconventional uh, message to respond to. And maybe one of the ways you respond is taking out a card and writing on, on it, this is the mission that I would love to pour myself into. Fold it up. Wait for it. And when Buddy gets back in town, everybody make an appointment with him immediately. Just flood him. He'll love me for it. And put that thing to becoming missional critical. Maybe that's your response. Maybe you need prayer this morning. And your connections minister is going to come up here and he's going to receive those. I'm going to back away and sit down. But I wanted to end today without this conventional invitation. After the end of this prayer, I want you to stand and sing. But if you will, pray with me. Father God, you, you blow my mind every single day at how awesome you are. God, I love what you've done with David. I love what you've done in history with people who, who just don't seem to have it all together. But somehow, God, you say that when we call our attention to you, you will open doors for us and we will respond effectively. Father God, I pray this morning that, these, that this group of people will continue to move Landmark into the future. Not just as a soul church that's here in Montgomery that blesses people, but God, one is as a kingdom movement that blesses the world. Father, if there are any responses today, please allow them to occur. In Christ, let me pray. Amen.